Hey everybody, it's Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish. And this is the DM's Deep Dive right here on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. This is a show in which we pick a particular topic relevant to D&D and pick a guest and dive deep into the topic. And today I am here with Teos Abadia. Teos, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello everybody, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Rudy. Uh, I, uh, the, the newest thing I've done is that I got to participate in writing a hardback book, Acquisitions Incorporated. That's true. That's I saw it. I have it on my dining room table. Woohoo! Yeah, awesome. it's well getting done. really good reviews. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and prior to that, I've written a lot of different adventures. So that's my biggest thing that I've done. Uh, though I broke out of that for the Acquisitions Incorporated book and did a lot of other types of work. And I've been involved heavily in organized play. Awesome. Uh, yeah, one of the things that I find most fascinating about um, the Acquisitions Incorporated book is it feels to me like that book is skating where the puck is going to be, mm. right? With the popularity of, of streaming content, the idea of an official Watsi hardback book that's built on the, on the framework of a 10-year, more than 10-year-old streaming game, right? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Through podcasting and various shows. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. It's a really cool product. And what I'm most fascinated by is the blend of the Watsy clear and clean design with humor at the same time. Thanks. That was a big part of it. Yeah. I can't, I don't cool. know how you, I don't know how you pulled that off. <laughs> uh, a lot of hours of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. And a great team. I mean, the whole team was amazing. So right. like, you know, Sean Merwin, yep. Yep. Dr. Fitzgerald Gray, yep. Fantastic. Uh, the whole Penny Arcade team. I mean, a lot of those tables all come from different Penny Arcade members. So it just shows you the kind of talent they have just around the office, right? All that is awesome. The art, and it's just a lot of people there. That's awesome. Uh, today, so you and I were on a show on this very show, I think like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Is that about right? And our topic then was building encounters. And the reason that show happened is you and I got in uh, a discussion on Twitter. I don't even want to say a heated discussion, right? Like, I don't think it was heated exactly, but we, we kind of debated and dissected this topic from a number of different angles. And I said, you know, this would make a good show. And we, we, we went on and talked about Encounter Balance. And then unfortunately, we both like completely agreed with each other the whole time, yeah. right? Or yeah. I kind of agreed with you the whole time. So uh, we'll see if that happens again. I give it, I give it pretty good odds that even though you and I had about a, ignore the cat on my shoulder, by the way. Do you have any rats in your room? Uh, no, because I can't find any heroic level one adventures to take care of the rats. Uh, we'll get to the rats, my friend. Yeah. Um, so I, have, I give this show about a 50-50 chance that it's going to turn out we agree with each other already. Yeah. But we'll see. And so the last show covered it, building encounters. And it started off with the, you know, we, we, we started off the show with let's build an encounter. It was your idea. Hey, why don't we build an encounter on the show? And you yeah. built a really interesting encounter about two Ettons that are fighting or the two Ettons where two, it's so hard to explain, right? It's so complicated. A head on each one love each other, but the two heads on each Etten don't like each other. Yes. Right. This really interesting, like love <laughs> quadrangle yeah. Of two Etten heads, which is a Cross great head love. It's a classic tale. Right. <laughs> I guess. And it was a great, you know, the concept for the story. And what was interesting to me about it is we start, you started it with that idea, right? It wasn't, yeah. 
how do you build an encounter for a group of level three characters, right? I think right. in our in our hypothesis, it was, right. you know, that we have a bunch of level three characters. And then we did the math later and it's like, yeah, that, that ain't going to work, right? That's like, not going to work, yeah. Bettons are going to kick the crap out of a group of level <laughs> yeah. three. And, and my, you know, my feeling, I, I listened to it again today because I wanted to make sure that we didn't just kind of tread the same ground again in this show. Yeah. Uh, but I thought about it, I was like, I, I'd still put that encounter in, right? Like, let's <laughs> still argue with each other. Like, there's this big disadvantage because you got these heads who hate each other. And, you know, and, and I don't know. It, it seems like it would yeah. make the same encounter. But you and I had a discussion on Twitter again recently. And I think it started from an article that I wrote called Two Thugs in the Woods. Um, in which I, I propose that if you want to see how your character, how your players are going to act in a situation that doesn't have a clear, right. and just throw, you know, and you want to be simple, just have two thugs in the woods and the characters can stumble upon them and yep. they can deal with them. And uh, I think, and I'm paraphrasing, so correct, you know, but correct me if I'm wrong, but your, your question was, you know, at what point is that appropriate for a, a range of characters? And at what point is that just so weak? Well, and you know, so I think it was two things. So you wrote that, which I thought it was actually a great blog post and I didn't really have any issue with that. So see, we're already agreeing, which is- Right, it's gonna be the most boring show. Sorry, James. Yeah. James was like, you guys, we've been billing a fight for like a yeah. week. Yeah. You I, gotta have one. I'm like, I don't think that's gonna happen, but- I mean, really what it is, is I think that you and I model the types of fights we would like to have on Twitter, like not actual like <laughs> right, like nice stuff or discussions. No actual people. hatred or doxing. Right. Like it's literally we pretend to disagree and then in the end we hug. Uh, That's really what's your favorite edition of uh, D and D Teos? Whatever you like. <sighs> That's no good. Whatever one you like, crap. <laughs> well, what you like is crap, and I just changed the worst like. world imaginable for D and D. Gerps is the best. Yeah, Sharp Master. <laughs> Uh, I've got Cinnabar on my shelf. <laughs> um, but so you're, you, you know, what, what it was, was actually I was reading product placement. Oh, look at that. Right. So it even look, you can tell it's real because I have things in it. Just saying like, uh, I just happen to keep a copy. Oh, mine's the hardback. Return <laughs> of the Lazy Dungeon Master. We both happen to have copies sitting at our desk. It's yeah. perfectly reasonable to so, have my copy on my desk. I don't know about yours. Yeah, that, I mean, I've got AI right there. Acquisitions Incorporated. Yep. Pick system. it up at your local store. Uh, the So I was reading it and in it, you say, uh, you kind of come up with this premise of a tower with goblins and hobgoblins and stuff. But I didn't see that you addressed at any point kind of like, by That's the right. way, my characters are X level. And so right. I was like, you know, would you do this at level one at 20? Right. Like, do you right. care? And so it, it tied into that thugs thing because of that. Cause I was kind of like, well, is Mike at all caring? Right. About the level of ever think about character design? level. Yeah. Yeah. And I think your answer was, I'm sort of thinking on a tier level. Um, yeah. And it, and I, I think about, yeah. So I probably think a little bit more at character level. Um, and, and, you know, somewhere between character and tier, because the tiers are pretty wide. Mm -hmm. and, and that was interesting that, like, as, as our conversation went on, it sort of switched into this other mode later on. Um, because where of your bad, wrong idea on rats. Because of my bad, wrong idea on rats. Awesome, awesome, epic rats. And, um, man, that adventure is going to sell so well. Uh, so the, um, now I lost my train of thought because I'm thinking about rats giant rats uh adapting the yeah, goblin so, 
Right. And, and my, my idea was like that the story of the character level starts even before you start thinking about uh, it, like hobgoblin, a hobgoblin in a ruined castle that mm-hmm. you think about like, well, when does a hobgoblin ruined castle make sense? And you could probably start that at level one. They're mm-hmm. just not dealing with the whole castle at level one. Right. They're dealing with the three goblins that happen to work for the warlord. Right. right. They, they run into them on the road and they turn and the goblins are like a little bit more arrogant because they happen to have this warlord behind them, you know, that they, that they support. Right. And yeah. You yeah. kind of build from there. Um, but it kind of switched to the other side because I, I, I do feel like there are appropriate stories at given levels of play in D and D and, you know, the, and then the one that gets to the rats in the cellar is level one. Right. <laughs> and I think our conversation is like, what is an appropriate, you know, and I'm, I don't even like the word exactly, you know, but sure. like, what is an appropriate adventure for level one characters? So I'll throw that question to you. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as an appropriate story? So, so, sorry, let me dive, you know, go three things back, which is you start with the story, but the story is based on leveling, right? And mm-hmm. like lower level characters have particular types of story that match that level and then it sort of scales up and like the dungeon master's guide covers this covers this tiers of play and i'm i'm being loose but it's essentially town and local stuff Mm -hmm. sort of city and regional stuff world stuff and then planier stuff yeah and 4e had the same thing going on yeah i think did it do it every three did it have three tiers yeah three tiers yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was sort of that like local world and big. Um, the heroic paragon. Yeah. And I tell you, he's not your problem. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I got that quote again. Ignore the cat. She's. He is irrelevant to this discussion. I'm just okay. a launch pad, frankly. Um, and uh, I would even argue, and this isn't like in the DMG or anything, but I argue that level one is like its own game. Mm-hmm. right it's like a whole separate thing like when it comes to encounter balance when it comes to the stories we tell when it comes to the kind of things that characters can do when it comes to like how we run the game i i kind of am more and more treating level one as its own thing i actually think it's it it doesn't work particularly well to have adventures that are scaled for level one to four mm-hmm. because the power difference between a level one and a level four character is way bigger than a but level you're, five to but level you're you're talking about mechanics here, right? Yes, but the mechanics really? tell the story, yeah, right? There's really? a difference. I, I, well, so this is, this is what we're going to discuss today, <laughs> right? That a, a, a level one character means something in a story. Uh-huh. And only having nine hit points and getting your ass kicked by a giant centipede yeah. is, is a fictional mechanism. It's a fictional sure. you know, frame. Yeah. Uh, which is where the rats in the basement come in. That like, when we think about a suitable adventure, like I, I joked about it and I joked about it in the tweet and then you and I had about a hundred follow-up tweets. <laughs> right? But the joke in my tweet was that like level one is your rats in the basement level. Right? Yeah. But I mean, okay, so I'm, I'm building groundwork, but what do you think are appropriate stories for, we'll start with level one. Let's pick on level okay. one. Okay. So uh, I, I agree that mechanically, uh, the, the level one PCs are really very different. They're very fragile. It's your deadliest level for sure. Like that's where you can expect your deaths. It's where you could blow away a new player who was like, wait, what? I'm dead. You yeah, know, you get a crit, right? One crit on a goblin. Right. Could be- yeah. And, and yeah. fifth edition uh, is, is much more deadly uh, at level one than 4E was. Yes. Uh, I think it's comparable with 3E. 3E yes. had like orcs of the great axe would just 
kill anybody <laughs> they crit so you're back into that territory um but uh but i don't agree that the story needs to be separate for them okay um i don't feel but i will say that it's useful it's a useful it's useful to think of like the local the heroic the, the local the regional the planar you know world spanning that kind of thing that can be a helpful device to keep in mind for me it's primarily because the world should make sense mm -hmm. so when i'm making a story um I want it to make sense, uh, you know, like it's a little weird that in Tomb of Annihilation, level one heroes are the ones that are hired to go off and stop the death Right. Curse, right? right. That's <laughs> a common problem. It's a little, you know, of course. Oh my God, everyone's dying. You, level one heroes, you're the ones in charge. Yeah, I'm teleporting you. Right, uh, right. I'm like a 19th level wizard. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it's a bit... Uh, there, there's some issues with that for sure. So I think it's good to keep that in mind as a construct. Um, and I think that it is really good. You know, someone mentioned that, I think it was Tom mentioned that it's good to uh, remember some of the, the fun classic play that comes when you're young and you're like afraid of everything. Right. And to have the pace work that way, right? To where you're, you're like, oh man, I'm going down the steps. Is there something on the steps? Mm -hmm. Right. Because as we get older, we're just like, there's steps. And if there's something on the steps, it's probably level appropriate, right? So I think it's helpful to have that sort of wonder and that worry that comes with lower levels. But I don't think the story needs to be only a story for level one. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you see as like a good and bad story for level one? What's a good, what's a good story for like, you know, off the but, top of your head, make up an adventure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, like... Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I think it has to be, to me, the, the key with the story is the story needs to be, uh, it needs to make sense. It needs to be compelling and engaging, mm -hmm. right? And if it, if it and, and feel like what I want out of this experience, right? Whether I'm a new player, or I'm a very old player, uh, this should be a thing that I want to participate in, right? Like we don't watch movies and have movies that, um, start us off on some like day job level of adventure right. right it's excitement from the beginning it's compelling it's a neat narrative it's compelling stakes right there's risk and reward going on that's always kind of happening right mm -hmm. like what level are the people in lord of the rings kind right. of all over the place but it's all one neat story right it's a great story mm -hmm. um same thing in the hobbit right like most of these novels or movies we grew up with like they they're just cool stories and they don't need to be a particular level cast member and the cast member will either dodge things by luck or they happen to be super awesome and that's part of the story um but we get to be heroes and we get to go through this engaging narrative mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean my, my wife and i were talking today about lord of the rings and the the stories and the fact that like you know frodo's level one and ring wraiths are after his ass right and but he kind of has to run from all of them all the time too yeah. you and i know our players right and like yeah. having yeah. like hey for a fourth of this campaign you're going to be running from wraiths you know yeah. instead of well, like two skeletons think about the combats like it's literally like every hobbit taking the dodge action every <laughs> round for every fight right so like something happens i think to where the combat sam, sam does some damage with the pan true 
right? Yeah, I think pretty early on. A third of the way through their travel that they finally right. get a little bit of sword training in, right? right. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> so they're, they're always movie versus game things. I mean, well, and that's right. Combos, that, that movie versus game thing is, is, is kind of important, right? That like the things that happen, this is like why boss fights in D&D are very different from boss fights in movies. Yeah. Because like a boss fight in the movie, you get to kind of decide the pacing and what happens. And in D&D, it's like, I force cage him. Right. And like, oh, he's done. Right. Now he's got to negotiate because he's stuck in a force cage. So sometimes that's cool, though. Right. Sometimes that, yeah. that cool. There goes my dog. It's yeah. my, my pet time. My cat. Yeah. So rats in a cellar. Right. As a it's like to me, yeah, I, I, I joke about it, but like I, you know, my, my, my common joke and I, I saw he's not your problem is in, in our chat here. And he brought up that the uh, 5e keeps the 5e hardback adventures keep characters at level one for too long. And I agree. I agree with him. I think. I think a lot of them. I, I can't think through them all, but I know at least the last two that I've run, I've leveled them faster than that because I want them out of level two fast. Mm-hmm. And I always joke that like level one should be a stern conversation and a and a giant rat in the basement, right? Like that. That to me is what level one should be. And then you're kind of off. Um, but thinking about like as soon as I said like rats in the basement, and we're like, you know, it's sort of like the 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 gym teacher hired you to go down and clean out the cellars, right? Yeah. But then I was like immediately and it came it's already come up in chat, which is graveyard shift. Are you I don't know if you're a Stephen King fan. Are you a Stephen King fan? I, no, I, I mean I I so not saying I'm super familiar with his writing. I'm gonna read you a quote from Graveyard Shift. The rat filled the whole gully at the at the far end of the noxious tomb. It was a huge and pulsating gray eyeless and totally without legs. When Hall's light struck it, it made a hideous mewling noise. Their queen then, the Magna Matir, a huge and nameless thing whose progeny might someday develop wings. It seemed to dwarf what remained of Warwick, but that was probably just an illusion. It was, a, it was the shock of seeing a rat, a rat as big as a Holstein calf, right? This whole story gave me nightmare. I read it when I was like 14 and I had nightmares forever. And my D and D love and those nightmares had like the same trajectory, yeah. right? That is, if you want like a scary ass rat story, sure. that's epic. That yeah. is like your epic rat story. And I think, I mean, not so. It isn't like DMs need to tell, you know, this isn't Mike Shea saying DMs need to tell the seller and the rat story. There's no, there's no other way to begin your D and D adventure other than rats. Uh-huh. But there is this idea that like you can pretty much make anything epic. Sure. Yeah. And like, I had an epic fight on, you know, yesterday. No, was it yesterday? I think it was. No, Dave, uh, a week from last Sunday. uh, I'm running Ghost of Salt Marsh. And I had an epic fight against giant centipedes. Right. And what made it epic was like some of the humor where like the groups went in from different angles. And one group, one character like surprised another one by bursting out of the door. And the first character at first is like, ah, oh, you jerk. And then goes, ah, and it's because one of them has the giant centipede on his back and doesn't know it yet. Right. And then they're like freaking out about these giant centipedes. And the guy like thunder wave and it blows the whole back of the house off, killing the centipedes, but also waking up everything else in the house. Uh You know? And, and like it, the battle took like five minutes, not even, right. Right? but it like, it's scared. Like you said, it scared them. Yeah, right? scared. They were, they're worried about everything. Right. Well, and salt marsh does a great job of setting that up where it kind of starts with haunted, right. And, like, bad kind of stories about it. And it gives you some sort of reason to fear it, which I think is especially effective right. for a new player. Right, like I, I run a lot of new players, and it's interesting how some scenarios like that, the, everybody's like, okay, 
you know, I'm ready to go in. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that's yeah. So I, I think, I think at one point in our Twitter conversation, and again, I'm paraphrasing, so I'm probably wrong, but you, you said something like players don't like low level battles like that. You know, they want more epic stories. Yeah. And what I really mean is like, so like, it's really easy for a, a designer, especially a new designer to be like, okay, rats in the basement. Here's this tavern. Talk to the guy or gal. She says, "Hey, I've got I've got rats downstairs." To which I'm like, "If you've got rats downstairs, they can't be that big a problem, <laughs> right?" Like, apparently, you've had this problem for some number of days or something. Not the rat so, that's the size of a Holstein calf. Right. So eyeless, like, that is that is legs. that needs to be set up differently, right? Like, if you've got <laughs> giant rats in your tavern basement, right. That's not insignificant. That's not like having right. a It's a big your, problem, right? right? And like they can't, they didn't take care of themselves. They could kill all of us. Like, why right. are you in this tavern? Right. right? right. Like, the the village is abandoning you. Right. Everyone's your food rating. rating. <laughs> yeah, your your Yelp score is in the toilet, man. Right. Hey, the, the burger wasn't bad, but then I got yeah. bit by a giant rat. I'm now well, my and so then the next part is if the designer goes in and says, okay, there is one set of stairs. There's barrels on one side and heaps of sack and they've been kind of opened up a bit and there are five giant rats. Right. And then probably, oh, look, there happens to be a secret door, some other concealed, you know, surprise kind of thing that has to, you know, that's sort of you're like, and there's something else going on. But to me, that is just, that's bad design. Like that's, that's not what we're looking for to engage today's audience. You want more than that. What Stephen King gave you was something very different, right? He, he gives you like a level of like, get ready for this. This is serious. And then he probably backs it up in the novel with what's a very, you know, like that's not just like one guy hits it and it's death, right? Right. <laughs> so I think five giant rats is pretty awful at level one. <laughs> maybe it could be. But, uh, but again, I think it could be really boring if it's just done. So I, I, I think I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any data to back this up, but I, I also, I think that when we talk about new, new DMs, like certainly, so one of the things I do is I go and I, I lurk in the D&D Facebook group, which has like 150,000 people in it. And they're all clearly many of them new to this game and figuring things out. And it's really interesting to kind of keep a thumb in a community that I don't, you know, that isn't just my friends on Twitter, right? right. And um, I see a lot of, of what kind of comes out, a lot of crazy ass house rules that come up. Right. And you're like, there's a lot of eye rolling with like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know what you're thinking. And I, but I'm able to scroll pretty quickly. But I, I, I don't tend to see people that are that are building adventures that are too mundane. I see them doing the opposite, mm. which is the I'm going to have them fight a Balor at level one. Right. Like there's going to be Grazd and his two Balor princes are taken over an entire city and the characters are going to face off against them. And you're like, you know, yeah, that's going to work. And, you know, especially, yeah. So I, I usually see the opposite, which is they kind of, they read like the whole monster manual and they sort of pick the most interesting things. Right. And if, right. And if they're, then they often get stuck in that, like, oh, I got to make a Balor suitable for level one. Oh. So I'll give it like four hit points. Right. Ooh, and now yeah. I've got a Balor with four hit points and they'll be able to shoot it with a bow and kill it, you know, and that'll be cool. And you're like, no, you know, I will say my like real Balor. What's that? I will say, not just to be contrary, but uh, I will say that for apparently much... that's what the audience wants. <laughs> yeah, fight. Um, 
Uh, let me tell you why you're wrong, man. There you go. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, now, well, I will say that for many years when I was younger, you know, and I was like 12, like it was super awesome to do things like that. We did stuff like, you know, my character's name is the Dragon Slayer. So DM, I want to fight one of each chromatic dragon. And I did, you know, were the fights always fair? Not important. What is important is that I killed a lot of hey, dragons. You rolled a 12 on a d20. The dragon is killed. I was super happy, right? Like it was the best. And, you know, so it, it can all be fine right. if that's your game, right? And that's always the, the number one thing is, are, are people happy, right? If you're throwing a level one made up Valor and your party's having a blast, mm -hmm. you're a great DM and it's all going well. But if it's not, if it's a train wreck, that's where you want to go back and say, where did I go wrong? <laughs> the Valor, they were killed by the fiery aura alone. Like the Valor didn't yeah. even do anything. Maybe it's when the tower, the tavern keeper said, I have a Valor problem in my basement <laughs> that you went wrong. Valor's five giant Valors downstairs. <laughs> Somebody, they're killing my business. Oh, and could you get the grease traps while By you're down there? By the way, while you're down there, there's a rat too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, there's part of me. So we were talking about it. And this is one of those where like a lot of times I'm on Twitter and I'm like, wow, if Teos is, is saying this, I'm probably wrong, right? Like sometimes I'll throw out an idea. Usually it takes two or three of you, right? But sometimes <laughs> it might just be one of you. Like right. it's one thing where I'm like, wow, if James Intercastle, James Hake, and Teos all and Sam and Sean Merwin all say I'm an idiot. I'm probably an idiot. Right? <laughs> like the, the one that comes to yeah. mind. This is probably worth a whole other show. Is the player archetype descriptions, the tactician and oh, yeah. role player, and I yeah. think those are all really, really useful until you try to apply them to human beings, and then they fall apart. But like everybody disagrees with me. I'm like Robin Laws wrote a book about it. Right. So sure. Sure. Shut up. Right. Like yeah. I'm probably <laughs> my my opinion is probably wrong. Well, what it probably is, is that you don't gain benefit from it right? for whatever reason. So you're either like not getting the benefit you should, or you're already getting that benefit some other means. So it's just superfluous, right? It's probably a more accurate thing. And right. on the same level, like where you, you know, you're saying like, oh, I was listening to you and thought I was wrong. Like, so I was reading your book thinking like, is he really just like coming up with a premise where it's hobgoblins and goblins? And then like, he's going to make it work for whatever tier of play. Like, maybe I'm doing everything wrong. Like, maybe that's how you should do it. So I was the I, same. Yeah. So that, and, and we'll, yeah, we'll, 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 I think we can, sure. Let's dive into that topic. Cause I can't remember what else we're going to talk about. So that, that is one where it's, I think it's useful to think about the tier of play that that fits. Right. And that, yeah. I, I think when I wrote it, I said, that's a good tier one. You know, it's a first tier, first to fifth level, you know, first to fourth level environment, maybe a little higher, because I think some of the guys in there were pretty tough. But I don't think there was, of all the dudes that I sort of laid out in that, in that scenario, yeah. I don't think any were higher. Like, I think the half dragon was the worst, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like CR2 or something like that. Okay. Um, so that felt like a good first to fourth level tier. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that you and your, you know, your five guys walk up to the front gate and knock and be like, hey, ogres screw you right like right. but I, I could see taking that situation and turning it into a, a, a you know tier one adventure like I'll, I'll, you know where yeah. the characters go from first to fifth level and it, and if i were running that now and i don't i think i get into this in other areas in the book like i have i have to kind of dig it up but i'm pretty sure i get into this i, I think i talk about leveling out of first level quickly 
Um, yeah, I think you I do. should have. Yeah, I think that's in there. Mm-hmm. And and my argument would be like when you run into those three goblins and they're like, you know, what I forget the guy's name, Bollock, right? But when Bollock hears about this, you're screwed. <laughs> like he's gonna come and take over this city. Bollock uh, got a new big machine he's building, right? And then they like, and then they come at you and you kill them. Then you get level two, right? Yeah. Like you've had your stern yeah. conversation, you've had your fight against three goblins, you've done your level one time. Now it's yeah. time to get to level two. I'd say the only time where you might not do that is if you're brand new to D&D. Maybe spend a little bit more time at level one just learning the basics. The problem is so, you're still more likely to die. <laughs> I like leveling slowly. Um, I have made my players in my home campaign, which I'm running later tonight, uh, bleed over this issue because so they didn't want to have levels one to two. Right. So when I ran Tomb of Annihilation, they're like, please, we want to start at level three. Right. A couple of them wanted to even go higher. I'm like, well, I don't really want to level the entire thing up. So so what I said was, we're going to level pretty slowly, and I'm not planning on increasing the top of the adventure. Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, you're just, things will be quicker, and you don't have to worry about the level one, two death or lameness or whatever. Oh, but so you, then you get started at level three or something like that? We started at level three and, and they, they, they finally hit 10 now. in our yeah. last session. Yeah. And we've been running for, we're almost at the two-year mark. Yeah, yeah. So that, that yeah, I, I actually think that Tomb is a little bit like that. Like I ran Tomb and I think we took 14 months. I did start them at first level and they got to, I think, ninth or 10th level by the end. Yeah. I, I, I don't think they, yeah, I think they were like ninth or 10th level. And in some cases they didn't level for like seven weeks. Yeah. Right. And it was because I was like, well, you guys haven't hit Omu yet. And you did all this other craziness. And I'm not going to have you show up in Omu at level 11 and just destroy everything. Right. Or you've got to level everything up higher. That was, that was a tricky, that's sort of like that, that um, milestone or uh, checkpoint advancement idea. And it's like, yeah, but the checkpoint is really far. The problem is they accomplished a lot. They should have leveled. Sure. They didn't. And like you, I didn't want to level them up. Um, There's another, yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's that idea of like, well, what is a tier appropriate? Yeah. situation right and then building these sort of tier appropriate situations and and that's where i i i i think i talked to you about like the the level one to 20 null campaign that i that i put on the site mm-hmm. it was just sort of a fun what would a 20th level campaign look like if you broke it out into each level and what would happen yeah. and the first one is like you come across a dying hyena right and that's like your level one situation right <laughs> and you're smiling yeah. laughing. it's like how lame is that like oh man you know, we found it, you, you, you kill like two hyenas and then one of them bursts into a knoll, right? Or, you know, and you kind of right. like, ah, this is what happens when right. hyenas get poisoned by Yinagu's blood, right? But well, it's that's like, where it's cool, know. right? That's the part yeah, that right. you go, so I, I think when we talk about rats in the cellar, right? Like, I don't see it as like Warcraft level farming, mm-hmm. right? It, to me, it's not like you go in and the dude's sweeping and he's like, oh, you want a meal? Go down and clear the rats out, right? And because he's like, I just can't be bothered, right? right? And instead, it's like, you know, my wife got bitten by a rat and she's dying. And yeah. my son went down there and disappeared, right? <laughs> and we found and there's like a hole in the floor. There's a sub-basement I didn't even know was there. Yeah. And it's like right. 150 years old, right? right? And there's an idol down there. And when yeah, I looked at it, I'm like crazy, and, right? And then he can go and full of flumps. No, those are uh, pod, pod, rat pods. There's a whole breed of pat of rats. How, how do I how do I shut down this call? I can't remember what the exit. Yeah, no, that's Rudy. Yeah, that's right. Oh. He's supposed to cut the connection whenever you say flump. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. That's all right. We'll keep going. Flump, 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 flump. Uh, <laughs> um, there's another. So there's another idea in this that I that I'd like to throw by you and see what you think. And and it's nerdy. So 
unlike the rest of this conversation, which is pretty above board. And the nerdy part is I, I consider it the power series of levels and the power series of challenge rating. Okay. And the, the idea here is that if you think about how many giant rats are in Faerun, right? There's yeah. a lot of them. Sure. Right? There's millions of giant rats yep. in Faerun probably. If you think about ancient red dragons in Faerun, mm -hmm. there might be three or four. Right. But, but you're but not according to the lore of the realms. But go ahead. Is that well? How many ancient red dragons are in Faerun? Kind of surprising number. Surprising number. <laughs> if if you like do that, there's that Wikipedia FR Wikipedia page. If you go in and like you know like d famed dragons of Faerun, it's, <laughs> a lot it's of ancient dragons. Kind of astonishing. It's definitely unsustainable ecologically. <laughs> okay. Well, that kind They're of blows magic. my blows my. Philosophy. But I know what you mean. My, my point is that like, and, and same like when in a city, like there aren't, a, you know, if you think about the number of cultists to right. archmages, right. right? Not, it's not even a linear progression. It's exponential. There are, there are, you know, there are logarithmically fewer <laughs> archmages than there are cultists. It's like decibels. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's like decibels. It's like earthquakes, right? It's the same math as an earthquake. Exactly. <laughs> so... And challenge rating, you can think of it. That's a really good, uh, think yeah. of challenge rating like, like magnitude of earthquakes, right? It's, yeah. it, it's exponentially bigger, the higher up. Right. And, and when we're talking about number of them, right? Right, there shouldn't just, be that many. Yeah. There's not just hundreds and hundreds of beholders yeah. floating around right. in a single cavern, right? luckily, right? And, right. and, and now, until you get to the outer plains, and it's like the number of ice devils that are wandering around in Faroon, not a lot. The right. number of them in Kenya, the eighth layer of hell, lots of ice devils. Yeah. Right? And that's where like getting to that tier three or tier four, where you travel, like you're going to travel outside a place. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that was where in our conversations, I brought up my favorite encounter that I like to drag out and beat up, which was the dress shop robbery, robbery <laughs> in Adventures League. Right. And yeah. I don't know if I talked about it in the show before, but the, and it was some Adventures League adventure. And uh -huh. We were in the middle of a, there was like a big war going on. I think it was in Mallmaster or something like that. Big war going on in Mallmaster. And our group is wandering through and there's a bunch of people robbing the dress shop. And we're like, get the hell out of there. And they like draw swords. And it was like three swashbucklers and two bandit captains. Yeah. Right. And I was like, what the hell are swashbucklers and bandit captains doing robbing a dress shop? And the other people at the table are like, whoa, this is great. Like, you know, I get to show right. off all my character. But I'm like, they should be bandits, right? They should yeah, be like right. bandits. And I should be able to hit a fireball and they're all dead. Because <laughs> they're bandits, right? And it was one of these like, well, it has to be challenge rating appropriate in order for you to gain the amount of experience to do the, the you know, adventure. They got to And I was just like, there's not that many swashbucklers, right? In the world. <laughs> dress shops, right? And why would two bandit captains be together at all, right? Yeah. Like, wh which one of you is in charge? So I think that it's, I, I think people hang on too tightly to, I need to find challenge rating appropriate monsters to challenge my players without thinking about whether or not those make sense for the story. I know that's true yeah. of many AL adventures that I played. So I really agree with you on the premise that, that it's, you know, the, the story needs to make sense, right? And so like the dress shop robbery and, and you know, like I, I feel bad whenever I'm talking about a real actual adventure that I didn't write. Yeah, and I sorry. just want to state that I've made many mistakes and people should feel absolutely me. Uh, welcome to criticize my stuff. Awesome. Yeah, um, but I, I think where this, and I have not played or read this encounter, so I don't know what I'm talking about except for you. Uh, so it's all your fault. But, um, but where, where it sounds to me is like, you know, so one is that it's not a particularly compelling or engaging scene, um, except right. 
because, because it was, and it was battle two of three in our four yeah. hour adventure. And I think it also suffers from the idea that this was an, a, a piece that needs to have the or fight component and therefore it has to be this way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would argue that that's probably where we're, you know, the author, editor, developer goes in and goes, eh, you know, let's shake this up and change it and to a way that it could work. And I think even on Twitter, we got a number of ideas for how it could be fun, right? And yeah. Without having to be two swashbucklers or whatever it was, right? It could be retooled to not just be combat appropriate. Um, so maybe that's point one. I don't know if I want to say anything about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I, the, the example I brought up where I thought it was awesome was uh in james intercasso's uh mm. planet of Tarasks, in which oh, there's no. yeah. a bunch of Tarasks trashing Waterdeep, and there's a bunch of thugs robbing a dress shop or robbing a shop and you have to like figure you know do you do anything about it like you're busy right. fighting Tarasks, and it was one of my favorite scenes in that game yeah. because standing on a decapitated Tarask head naked because i found out that wearing armor against the Tarask doesn't matter because they'll hit me on a two no matter what right two or above and I and I stood on it with my vorpal sword and pointed at him. I'm like, "You guys, watch it, right?" And and then they roll the intimidation check with advantage because I'm on a Tarask head, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, right?" And it was this great kind of fun scene. Yeah, he didn't say like five champions are robbing a dress shop, yeah, right? right? Like he said, "No, they're just thugs." Yeah, and I think well, that there's. So, go ahead. It was funny that I think you said like there's no way James Intracasso did the math on you know a hundred right. Tarask or something, and he produces the math right. But it <laughs> and it was like level appropriate. It was like five million experience points, though, right? <laughs> well, yeah. well level twenty, you know. Was, yeah, hundred Tarasks is is pretty high. I do where I do disagree somewhat, but yeah. you know, so I agree on this premise thing. But but my kind of second thing with this kind of an encounter is that I do not have an issue with, but I know many DMs do one of your and I's favorite discussion points, and that is escalating uh, the challenge for your party's level. Okay. So famous example that you like to talk about is a rope that is harder to climb <laughs> because your characters are higher level. The right? high level rope. Hey, that uh, rope maybe a kinder example is that the lock is harder to pick, right? So right. in theory, locks really just have a particular DC and then you're done. That's as hard as a I mean, lock. It depends on the lock. That's the way... 5e is right uh 4e was written more where it scales with your party and so lock could be any level right or we right. saw kobolds that were like you know special like there were dragon shield kobolds right. that were like right. tough at mid-level and then there were ghouls right they were like epic you know, 25 servants of tiamat right kobolds that were like major fights right they were hugely difficult right. and and all things like were kind of scaled like that and i like that scaling because to me I'm telling a story that revol revolves around the PCs, right? It's mm -hmm. the world is what the PCs experience, not everything that's just around it. And so when they are busting into a place, the lock is a hard one because they're facing a formidable foe or an important thing that's been guarded that is appropriate to their tier. So it's not a DC 12 lock because you can't protect really important stuff with a DC 12 yeah. lock. It's mean, a special lock. This is, this if you're is climbing up a wall, it's a hard thing to climb because this is a crazy tough place somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where mm -hmm. i think you and i agree for the most part right that like to me it's about the box you're picking and mm -hmm. it's about the level of the box not the level of the characters if level four characters broke into orcus's inner sanctum in in thanatos and tried to break into the box where he keeps the wand of orcus 
that's a CR, that's a, that's a DC 30 check. And it's probably covered with power where it kills, you know, Cliff, mm-hmm. Cliff's sure, sure. it doesn't matter what the characters levels are, but if they are 20th level, they right. might actually be able to break in and get right. it. Right. And likewise, if your, if your level 12 characters break into the dress shop and rob the, cause that's what level 12 characters do is they break into dress shops along with the bandit captains that if they want to go, <laughs> they're just short of some money and they break into the local dress shop and they okay. hit like the like box dresses. that's, what's that? If you just like dresses. Yeah, well, they just need a little extra coin. Hottest fashions, you know. Yeah. They lost it while carousing. So they um, they find the bo- the locked box underneath the counter that doesn't have like a DC 25 lock on it because a DC 25 lock probably costs 50,000 gold pieces, right? It's probably yeah. a DC, you know, 12. Right. And then yeah. they hit it and open it. So, I, I, you know, same way. Like, if there's a reason why the rope is a real pain yeah. in the ass to climb, right. it doesn't matter what level the characters are. That rope is still a pain in the ass, right? And I would generally say that, you know, in, in the case of this high-level characters where the, the lock should be inconsequential, just don't have there be a lock. Like, don't waste time on that. Or unless just say you, you there's a lock that. and you easily bust it, right? Yeah. yeah, unless you want that to be, like, an injection of, like, a reminder that, hey, you're dealing with this mundane world right. of regular shop folk. So it's a DC eight, you know, it's, it's like such a bad lock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you want to underscore that great, otherwise there's just not a lock there. Like just right. take this stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, let's jump to some questions. We got a lot of questions going on. I see some in chat. I see some in Twitter. We are here. Of course, we have our guardian angel who is a, I think a challenge 25 solar, <laughs> uh, Rudy Basso. That's true. Yeah, that's accurate uh cool hey great arrows of slain. yeah we have a question on twitter from former guest dm david oh david hartledge how, how do you add wonder to first level adventures okay that's the guy who writes the best blog right he does it's a pretty great blog hey i only have a silver any so i can't really <laughs> congratulations on your any thank you that was, that was book. Amazing. I'm very happy about that yeah that's pretty good that was tough competition too. It was. I was surprised. I was surprised too. Good job. Well, you work hard. You deserve it. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. I have a big mailing list too. What What did David say? <laughs> David David asked, "How do you add wonder to a low level adventure?" Is that what he first asked? First level adventure. A first yeah. level. How do you add wonder to a first level adventure? We talked a little bit about that, but if you have any other, yeah. I've got an idea. But go ahead. Uh, I I go back to the. the it's got to be engaging play, right? And so. If you're going to have a mundane premise, then you've got to dress it up with some really interesting, compelling pieces around it. Yeah. So if you're really going to do rats in a basement, I think, you know, you kind of described a scenario that would be a lot more compelling, right? My kid's missing this, you know, or even just like, I went down today and all my grain's gone, mm-hmm. all of it, mm-hmm. but I see no signs of theft, right? And, and you breathe in some, and then you like, maybe there are several rooms down below. And there are just these signs of something having happened, right? And you get that Stephen King kind of mode. Then you can make it seem like it's worthwhile. But if you describe it as cleaning out the grease trap and it executes like cleaning out the grease trap, right. you know, we have day jobs. Yeah. We don't need this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. That, that to me, evocative narration is the key yeah. to making it epic. And, you know, like, again, if you want to make the rats in the basement, like if you haven't read Graveyard Shift, you know, and you're doing rats in the basement, you should yeah. read Graveyard Shift. 
and it, and it, and it has to do with that. Like, how do you know, how do you describe the rats? How do they smell? What's their, their greasy hair and the fact that they're all covered in pustules and that some of them seem to be, have like weird bony protuberances piercing out of their back. You yeah. know, you don't know why. And they all have a weird symbol on their forehead of a swirl. Like yeah. where did they get that swirl scar? Right. And it, it is like you throw secrets. So I'm, you know, I talk about secrets and clues, right? Like yeah. things that characters can discover that sort of matter to them you know throw those secrets and clues in there they find a corpse the corpse right. has you know oh my god this is our buddy that we saw three weeks ago and he's been eaten by the rats so right. I, but but to me i think the or, big you know it could be an alchemist shop and you do the the kind of thing i like doing this not quite at level one a little later when you need a little spice up but you still want mundane which is something like it's the alchemist shop and so there's all these unstable reagents down there yeah, right. Right? It's so all there's a lot it's rats. not just lame rats like right. there's pretty interesting and some of the rats have been changed too yeah right? exactly so, Exactly. Players get changed, rat rats are changed. Right. Yeah. Rat pods. Uh, what else you got? So I think you guys are kind of going back and forth on Twitter on this, but we'll do we'll talk about it again. Uh, at awesome. Barkish now says, when DMing for a group that's new to Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs, what's the best way to introduce them to combat encounters they likely can't defeat yet? Ooh. What do you say, Teos? So I, I uh, even the best players, I think, fall prey to this, where they just sort of assume they can take everything. And I think the second part that makes it difficult is that D&D is not very good for retreating. Mm -hmm. Often by the time players want to retreat, some of them are severely wounded, and it's very easy to drop them, and then retreat just goes to heck, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it falls apart because of the way movement and actions and rounds, you know, it's just, it's just not a, a capable uh, system for kind of doing a, a fun retreat, a neat reverse chase or something. Uh, so I tend to try to telegraph to my players early on that I will throw overwhelming things at them. So when I ran Tomb of Annihilation, uh, very early on, I think it was the first time we stepped into the forest and they're, they're in the jungle and they're low levels, um, they had a thing where they found signs through various checks, various skill checks, where they realized something massive has come through here. And then they saw, uh, I think it was a T-Rex and a Triceratops, signs of both of these, right? Just, I mean, you got to be pretty missing it to not realize that's way above. Uh, and then you, you had a number of ways that it could develop so that it could be the two of them fight each other or you just miss them both or whatever. And so that, the whole scenario was clearly pointed at avoid detection, right? These things will destroy you. And that was how I was giving a message to my players of sometimes there may be things that you just can't overcome. You want to use alternate reaction or alternate uh, options. Un unfortunately, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think my first argument is like, try to avoid situations, especially with new people where you put them up against foes they can't defeat. That, that, that you know, I'm, I'm probably being overly harsh. That feels arrogant to me. Mm. It feels like a DM trying to say, I want to show you how hard my world is mm. by throwing yeah. you up against this big ass thing. When like, you know, this is where I go in the other direction, which is like, go ahead and throw giant rats at them because they could beat the giant rats, right? Like, yeah. let them have a success and let them grow with that success. Now, yeah. there are times where you're like running, you know, so the, I think the, 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 the biggest description of this is or the biggest like a great example that many people are familiar with is uh horde of the dragon queen where mm -hmm. you know you you go into greenest and it's being attacked by kobolds and rat swarms and you know oh and an, and an, an adult i think it's a young blue a young blue or an adult blue yeah. dragon, 
and you're like holy cow like and i remember like my players like I, i'm not going there like yeah. i'm level one i'm not going into it <laughs> i'm not going to a town with a freaking dragon well, and, it, and it's funny because even if you look at, I don't know which one, which run it was, but uh, for some group of relatively inexperienced players that were, I think, way into fantasy, but sort of first time playing D&D for some of them, Mike Merles ran a table of that. And I think he started them in an open field with the dragon attacking. And so under that structure, it was sort of like, what would you like to do? And like, I don't know, there's a dragon, I should attack it, you know? Yeah, right, like, like what other but, options are there? Yeah. And so that's where I think, you know, another answer to this is think through what your reason is for this thing being here. Right. And make that the cool movie scene, the cool thing. And I think the, the adventure tries to do that, maybe not as well as it should, which is probably why it's getting rearranged. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how they're going to fix right? it. To it. say, okay, there's this threat here, let's make it really clear, and maybe you feel smart but you know that you're going to uncover this, that this is too much. So what can you do to help, right? Heroism is called for, but very quickly you need to be able to identify that. Otherwise you're going to say, well, I guess I shoot at it. Right. Okay, E2, right? Like that's not fun. So we want yeah, a different I, mechanic. I, I, I think that the number of times a DM should throw insurmountable foes up against their party should be very, very small and with really good reason. Yeah. I think that's something to think about carefully. And the I, fun I, needs I to be that power series they do. Right, like right. how many how many villagers in all of Faerun ever see a blue dragon, <laughs> and you just happen to see it the first day, you know, yeah. you're out and about. So like, right. they're just they shouldn't be that common in the first place. Yeah, uh, Rudy, what else you got? So this is kind of I guess a follow up to that. At Tim Bannock asks specifically, how often do you use deadly encounters? When you say okay. insurmountable, insurmountable, do you include that as well? How far into the deadly XP range do you go? Tell what do you think? So deadly is weird because D&D encounter building is really... See our, see our last weird. show, if you want to... Yeah, see our last... I was just going to say that. You talk know, a lot about show. that, yeah. So the, you know, when, we, when I worked on writing a D&D Open, uh, whether the players were new or experienced, they could often, hand, often handle multiple deadly encounters without a problem. In fact, uh, a common thing to do was... Uh, two deadly and two hard encounters mm -hmm. and they could get through it right players are surprisingly resourceful in their characters too uh as long as not being you know completely mean but just just deadly alone is not enough of a signal so uh i think you really want to know your audience uh whether it's published organized play your home campaign you need to know who it is that you're you're challenging and what it is that you're trying to do with that encounter um, when I'm designing for something where I don't specifically know my group, if I know my group, I'm tailoring to that. And whatever deadly means, you know, then I do that. Maybe deadly really is uh, I choose deadly for two levels higher than they actually are. And that might be awesome. Well, then that's what I use. And I use that as often as I want to have that level of challenge. Um, when I'm writing for publishing, what I usually do is I try to go buy the book plus a little harder. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, as, as you know, Mike, I tend to actually use all that math and stuff that the book gives us flaws, flawed as it is. I use that as a, as a starting point, but then I add into the encounter, a lot of things that, pl that players or DMs, DMs can do to ratchet down or up the difficulty, mm -hmm. right? So they can choose to do these things beyond just the normal, like, ah, take some hit points away or whatever. There are things in the encounter that you can use to change it up as a DM. Yeah. I, I again, I agree with you completely in our controversial show. Um, I think that, 
so it's important to recognize that deadly is anything over hard and above, which yeah. is a huge range. So deadly is 100 Tarasks or it's one level of just above. So I think when we're talking about it in this context, we're talking about over the edge of hard yeah. and, and just into deadly, right? right? And I think a lot of it is dependent upon a DM knowing what their players' capabilities are, knowing what the characters, well, players and characters, like sometimes players just work really well together and their synergy is really good and their characters are really effective. Then you can kind of play with deadly, you know? And yeah. That's why I think the only time, so yes, if you're writing a published adventure, it's one thing. That's a pretty small number of people compared to yep. the DMs running games. Um, and when you're a DM running a game, I think it's useful to know when you have designed an encounter that has edged into deadly. Yeah. By keeping that, as we as we've talked about in the other show, I have a little equation in my head, right? And the, the equation just helps me know, is this deadly? Like the two Ettons against level threes, is that deadly? That feels deadly, right? Mm -hmm. And then is if it is deadly, I just want to be more careful with it. Maybe that still fits mm -hmm. the situation, but I'm not going to just have these guys go and beat the snot out of level three. Yeah, so yeah. Give them an option. Um, so I think it's useful for people to know when something has crossed into deadly. And then, yeah, I, I agree a lot, especially if you don't know the capabilities of the characters, of having your hands on the dials, as I like to say. Like yeah. There are things that you can manipulate during a game. I don't know how you feel about this. I think, I think you mentioned it in yeah. else's post. Um, but like, go ahead and change hit points up while it's going on right. change the damage up while it's going on have guys run or die or whatever so that you you can kind of tune a battle i think especially for boss battles or battles where the stakes are really high it's like the climax of the adventure then you want to have it in that like we're struggling to get through and yeah, you have I, your hands on those dials all the time i work harder than most designers i think at kind of getting the numbers right Mm -hmm. And I still would say to anybody running something that I've done that the math's not some truth, right. right? Like this is just what I ended up with. Your group's probably different. And just the way you might say a few things can totally shake up the challenge of it, right? Any minor thing can shake it up right. uh, or the players can shake it up with their actions. You know, one bad mistake or one move that turns out to not be a good move can really shift how an encounter plays out. Um, so yeah, adjust the dials, right? Change things up. There is no, no truth to the world. Uh, you don't want to make it obvious to your players that yeah, you're right. that when you do it, Behind the screen. you should do it, right? So there's just that art of saying like, and it drops. Yeah, right. It had right. 15 hit points. Who cares? You know, the <laughs> players are having plenty of challenge. They don't need another, another round of it attacking, right? right. That's right. just a thing to do. Yeah. I think there is another side to this question that says, you know, like how often should your encounters be really challenging? Mm. Yeah. Right versus really easy uh, or just kind of flat in the middle. And, and that's also, I think, something that varies, right? So kind of how do you do your, your challenge level up or down and, and what's rewarding for your players is worth thinking about. Um, some people, you know, I tend to run, a, I, I'm, I'm a pretty tactical DM, like I, I run hard. Um, and so players generally say like, eh, you're a hard ass, you know, like you, you push us a lot, but they also feel like they like that. Mm -hmm. right like one of the dms in my group that's a player in my group said i now run harder for my players <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool um but there are times you need to have those easy encounters and, and you know it's not everything is right yeah so this is this is one where i, I think we, we may disagree a little bit which is I, I tend not to even break things up in encounters like that all that often so i don't i don't think about like how many encounters the group has had in a day Mm -hmm. uh, I think about, I, I, you know, but I'm also running published adventures. 
a lot of times, like I'm running yeah. Saltmarsh now and I've run, you know, all the other yeah. ones before. So I, but, but an example is like the seller, this is a spoiler for Secret of Saltmarsh, um, that in the seller, I had them all kind of attack based on what the characters did. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that like, if they're facing five bandits, three scouts and a wizard at the same time at level two, that's going to be really rough. But I did have basically one long battle where they faced five bandits, three scouts, and a wizard. It was just yeah. broken up into different pieces. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would give them things like, you know, with your keen ears, like a guy was like, I, I want to thunder wave this guy over here. And I'm like, well, with your keen ears, you hear a whole group of them bunched up yeah. in this other cave. And he's like, I'm, and I said, but to get to him, you're going to take an opportunity attack from the guy you're fighting. He's like, I don't care. And he flew in, he's an Aracocra. <laughs> flies in thunder waves and hits like four guys at once and kills two of them outright. Right? Awesome. Turned it right. It was very epic. But the, yeah. I didn't think about, and I try, I, I, I tend not to think about like, you know, how many battles are going to be easy, medium or hard over an adventuring day. Right. I've kind of thrown mm -hmm. that idea out and it's sort of like, this is, this is the way things are organized in this area. You know? Well, and it's fascinating that uh, Wizards was saying that they don't expect you to do that, that they actually right. assume uh, the way the game is written assumes that everybody always is fully fine. Yeah. Even though they have these rules for sort of running out of steam and using up, you know, so many encounters yeah, per day or whatever. They don't, right. they don't expect you to kind of individually do that and the math is not and their adventures are not written that way anymore right i don't and think i don't work i don't tend to think about uh you know what is my daily max or anything like that right it's more that what i will do is say i, I should shake it up from time to time sure right? yeah yeah um and it depends i think tomb of annihilation is a, a campaign where it's supposed to kind of feel pretty pretty rough yeah yeah so so it feels rough more right mm -hmm. but i think something like say salt marshes where it makes sense to have like a Ooh, what's that? It's a giant tick. Okay, we killed it. Whew, okay, it didn't grab us. You know, it was an on-off. Could have been hard, wasn't. Right. And the next one might be like, oh man, these these were really scary. And then the next one is, you know, okay, this is a medium fight. Like that's fine. That's to me that works for that kind of adventure, right? Right, right. So uh, we have hit the hour mark, and I know you have a game to get off to. Uh, do you have time for one or two more questions, yeah. or or do you need to run? When yeah. what time? So I'm managing your time effectively. When do you need to go? Uh, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Very good. Uh, Teos. I'm sorry, not Teos. Oh. Rudy, what do you got? Well, speaking of time management, Heed's Nacho uh. Problem in chat asks, do you have advice for designing thrilling level one-shot adventures where time is paramount, specifically if you have a four-hour window and you don't want to short the party for the culminating encounter? Yes. Teos, what do you think? I don't know. You, you, you say what I think. Uh, you want me oh, to I thought you had an idea. I have an idea because I'm doing this right now. So I'm writing a book. I'll tell you about my next book. I'm writing a book called Ruins of the Grendel Root. Fantastic Adventures Ruins of the Grendel Root, which is 10 short adventures for D&D based level one to five. And the first of them is called Call of Starsong Tower. And it's available for free. Uh, anybody can go and download it and play it. It's fully published, fully edited by Scott Fitzgerald Gray, who are our, 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 our good friend and one of the best. Um, it's got beautiful maps and everything else. So you can go and download it and play it right now. It's got pre-gen characters ready to go. And um, that one is a two-hour adventure. It's, it, it's intended and tuned for around a two-hour adventure. And the way that I primarily... So I, I, again, thinking about the dials that a DM can turn, I wanted one of the designs of these 10 adventures is that all of them have dials that the DM can turn to tune the length of time that it takes. And there's a few that are kind of in every one of them. And then there's some where they are designed specifically for 
uh, uh, the guy, if somebody, somebody can find the link, I'm sure. Somebody in chat's asking what the link is. Awesome. So um, uh, one of the easy dials is uh, removing combat encounters or adding combat encounters, right? Mm -hmm. Combat encounters can take anywhere from about 30 minutes to 30, or, you know, depends on what kind, how many, it depends on how many giant rats you have in your first level encounter. Um, but it's, uh, it can be, um, you know, anywhere from like 15 to 45 minutes, maybe if it's like a really big fight, but probably at level one, it's probably gonna be pretty small, 15 to 30 minutes. So if you, if you want it longer, you can kind of add more stuff like that. And if you want it shorter, you can cut it. So you can say like, I only want to have like one initial confrontation and then one fight at the end. And I'll, and I'll use that. Um, the, but then there's also, this is something that I saw in a um, Monty Cook, uh, Monty Cook Games put out a book for Numenera called Explorer's Keys for Numenera. Mm -hmm. And their trick is, is something I like to refer to as the moving MacGuffin. And the idea here is that you have these things that you need in order to solve the adventure. It might be a piece of information. It might be a key. It might be a, you know, just something you need, a, a, some object or some person or something like that. And if you can build your adventure so that that thing is movable and right. maybe it shows up right when they arrive and maybe it shows up later in the game, that lets you tune how long the game takes. So if you want somebody to have a four-hour game, um, and you, and you and they're cutting through things quickly. You can take that MacGuffin and move it further out. Yeah. Now the trick is you got to have material there. Right. You know, it needs to be big enough already to handle that four hours, or else people will know. But you can do that. Like there's a, there's yeah. I, I'm not I'm not against random encounters and stuff like that. So you can kind of put some fun things in there. Just don't beat them heavily with combat after combat after combat. Yeah, I think that's really smart. The idea of you have things you can turn on or off to help. Um, and I think when you're creating each of your main scenes, you want to think, is this one that could run long or is this one that could run short? And then you, you build your, your, your sliders based on that. You give the DM some tools based on that. Uh, like I did uh, the adventure for Adventures League called The Artifact. And it's based on the board game Clue, right? And so you are talking to all these different ghosts to figure out who did it with which weapon. Uh, the where is not critical, but you're doing the, the first two that is in a game of Clue. And one of the things that can happen is you could just luck out and figure it out really early, or you might have to go to like all the places, right? right? So in there, I placed instructions for what happens under these different scenarios. How can you handle that, right? And it tends to run pretty well. And what often happens is that if it's not a convention game, people just want to keep playing because they're having fun, mm -hmm. right? But if it's a convention scene, then they, they use these tools to shortcut to that right duration. But I think it's an excellent question. It's a very kind of timely question because Adventures League is trying to do now these adventures that can be two hours or to four, four hours with yeah. these optional pieces in them. And sometimes they are not working well because of that. For example, we used it with the, the idea of the like, uh, you know, people are, are robbing uh, dresses from the shop. Well, if you just intimidate them away, right. that took you two minutes. If right. you think, there's no way it's the same duration. Yeah. So you, it really requires handling. You can't have that different of a, of a slider uh, because it's too hard to compensate. So you're going to have to have something else come along. If you're really allowing that option of a full fight versus a uh, dress intimidation and then we're done, well, 
you've got to have something else for those people to play or it's not going to work out. And now you're doing a lot of design work. Right? So it's probably worth going back and thinking through, well, if the times must be the same, then it needs to be more compelling than simply intimidating the way. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you talk to them and they go, well, the reason we're doing it is because this other threat. Right. And you got to, you know, help that. That's why it's two bandit captains and three swashbucklers. <laughs> uh, do we have time for one more question? Sure. All right. Rudy, one more question. Make it a good one. Not these, uh, the other ones have been great. Oh. Been as good as right. uh, been sure. Great. From the id DM on Twitter. Uh, Michael Mallon. Structurally, what is different between a level 1, 10, or 20 encounter? How can behaviors be changed as scope and scale increases? Hmm. What do you think of that, Tails? Um, so I, I think th this kind of takes me to my thought. The way I feel about this is kind of like I said before, where I think it's helpful to have these constructs in mind, the, sort of the, the small town thing, the region, the whole world, the planar. Uh, that's good to know. And similarly, an encounter, uh, you want to have really epic stuff uh, as you go up. That's where you expect like you're, I'm fighting over a pool of magma. Right. And this kind of really thrilling stuff is going on in your higher level encounters. But that's kind of your baseline expectation. And again, play should be compelling. So it's not like it, level one should be or low level should be. I'm just going through a cavern with no features and there's just, you know, a snake. Like, <laughs> right. Like, great. That's not engaging and compelling. I could, I could so make maybe it's sense. not, you know, enormous pools of deadly magma that will kill me automatically. Uh, but something else that's interesting, like hot gas erupts at various points or, you know, and then it's a fire snake. And so there are ways to do this so that you um, still keep it engaging. I don't tend to approach low level versus high level super differently from a structural perspective. I don't know if you do. Um, I, for me, it's all scope, I think. Um, this, the scope of the story. Um that you know the the level of the threat that they're if we're talking hard fights right if we're talking sort of the big challenging ones yeah. um but like when i think about the high level characters in um storm king's thunder uh or or tomb of annihilation one one area that changed for me is the number of monsters i'm willing to throw at the characters mm. and at when they get to the higher levels i'm willing to throw dozens dozens to literally hundreds to maybe even a thousand monsters mm -hmm. at the party and it's because yeah. they can deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I threw a thousand skeletons against a group and they beat it with a wall of fire, right? <laughs> and it's because yeah. they, they were getting chased down a hall by a, a thousand skeletons. Yeah. They threw up a wall of fire and the skeletons just poured through it and they melted and they formed a wall of molten bone. Yeah. That's all the ones from behind from getting through, right? And it was very epic and very cool. You probably don't want to throw, I think I threw 40 whites at a group once. And even at their level, like they were 13th or 14th, and that was still an ass kicking, right? Like yeah. 40 whites are no joke, no, you know, at, at even higher CRs. So that, you know, breadth, I will, I will throw a lot more monsters, low, more low level monsters. I think also as I get higher level, I put in mechanics to things that I'm designing that are really like, ooh, pucker up moments. So mm -hmm. like I created a, an encounter for Tomb of Annihilation where the players find these important named NPCs and they've been, uh, they're unconscious and they look sort of weirdly desiccated. And then there's this nest in the back wall and it's kind of buzzing. And what ends up being is it's full of sturges. And what was supposed to happen is the players would kind of maybe figure out like, maybe I don't want to disturb this thing. Cause eventually like a sturge just comes out 
It was just a low level sturge. Right. And you beat it up and it dies. Right. But then like the, the hive sort of responds and right. two come out, right? So they, the, this message was supposed to be, don't mess with this. <laughs> what they did was mess with it. So then comes out this mother, and this is where this is a high level component of it, is that the, the mother of all sturges emerges. Like a Casmi. And it, it was like a Casmi. It was actually based off a Casmi with some other monster thrown in. And what it did was it expelled like a enormous burst of sturges. Mm -hmm. And I rolled something like 2d4 for every player. And that was how many sturges were automatically stuck in them. Mm -hmm. And nothing threatens players like damage, right? And suddenly they realize, hey, I'm losing this many hit points every round. <laughs> I'm getting completely eaten. So very quickly, they're summoning like a, a, a bonfire, the summon bonfire thing, and people are voluntarily running yeah, I was through say, it. Just fireball my position. Exactly. It's better than Sturges. Right, and so that's where you can see the toggle there, the difference between how I might have created that encounter for level one, where it's right. just individual Sturges and it doesn't have a Hita mechanic, to having Hita mechanic, to having this beastly queen thing that comes out and just auto impales you with Sturges, right? Yeah. Like that's a, Okay. So I, I also think that there's, and this is one where you and I've had, I think, I think getting kind of going full circle back is I am willing to have relatively low challenge encounters up against high level players mm -hmm. when the circumstance accounts for it. And the example was, and I, again, I brought this up in our previous, our previous uh, uh, show that we did, where there were a bunch of like tribal Bedine guys that were worshipers of um, uh, Imrith the blue dragon mm -hmm. and they all attack like they're fanatically loyal to Imrith and they attack the group when the group went to the forbidden city where Imrith lives and my wife killed all of them with one hit right and and there's part of you that's like and I thought it was just epic right like yeah, yeah. this was this was a turning point for me as a dm to really revel in watching an encounter with that many guys <laughs> just be over in a second right, right? but boy it's it told a lot about the characters. And, and yeah. I thought about today, I'm reading, I'm rereading The Gunslinger by Stephen King. And there's a scene uh -huh. in The Gunslinger where he goes to this town and it turns out his rival has like brainwashed the whole town and everybody attacks him. And he just stands at the front of the town and he kills every single person in the town, right? With his, <laughs> with his six shooters. And you're like, cause he's rolling to Shane, right? He's like the gunslinger. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't get hit by any of these guys. He, right, you know, right. Too guy good. with a pitchfork, it's not gonna do anything to him, right? But the horror was that he wiped out a town. Right, yeah. so it wasn't without consequence, and, yeah. and likewise. And I wish I had gone back and added more to this. That like my wife wiped out a whole tribe, right? Like these people have been passing the generational torch of this tribe for yeah. centuries, and yeah. she wiped it out in a single hit, right? I, that that power should have been. Yeah, Dickie Adams says nineteen. Somebody here is a gunslinger fan, so uh, that's the secret. <laughs> If you hear the word 19, it means you will find out what's on the other side and probably go crazy. So we all have to make madness checks. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. So yeah, those kinds of consequences to that. What's that? That's where. So I threw some of those Aldani lobster folk yeah. that are like really nothing when the party was towards the end of running through the jungle and Tomb of Annihilation. Right. And it ended up being a hilarious fight, non fight, right. a hilarious encounter where the players actually threw weapons to them so like here arm yourselves you guys right. are so weak and they're like no we don't want weapons weapons are horrible take them back right it right. Was very, right it was yeah. very classic there could be something really fun about being way overpowered i mean again like we brought the same we're, now we're now we're treading the same ground ewoks right we're like don't poke me with your stick like i have a lightsaber you know like 
but you kind of have to work with them because you're like, oh, these poor guys, like we're not going to wipe out a whole tribe full of grungs. And then it pays off, right? The big right. payoff at the right. end. So I, I think that that, thinking about those low level, high level ones, I think there's, you know, it's obviously very different when you're facing a bunch of grungs at level three than when you're facing them at 13. Yeah. You know, but you can do both and, and the, the feeling changes uh, and that's good, right? Like the, that approach changes. Yeah. So, so oh. Teos, this has been, as always, this is the third time. You're the only person who's been on this show three times. So I must uh, like you. That was a mistake. Well, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see how the ratings are on the, on, on YouTube later, right? Um, but uh, it has been awesome to have you on the show. I'm glad that we we completely uh, solved this online disagreement between you and I. I feel yeah. good. I'm sure we won't. Now it's all smooth sailing. Virtual hug. Virtual hug. You know, I'm sure it's all smooth sailing on Twitter until probably, I don't know, tomorrow at 9 a.m. <laughs> our, is our regular come up with a debate. Yeah. We, we all agree that rats in the basement are a terrible idea. Man, epic rats in the basement. I'm just going to quote every line from that story <laughs> yeah, for like the next two weeks until you've read the entire story. Thanks for having me on. It's always uh, what do you, what do you, what do you, uh, where can people find you? What have you done recently that you want to call some attention to? Uh, I will be at PAX West, which is coming up. I will have a seminar with a bunch of other really talented folks about making someone else's world your own. Hmm. Uh, and it is on Friday at PAX. I don't have the exact, uh, but it's my pinned tweet. So if you go to at AlphaStream, uh, you'll find the info there. And we're going to talk about how you make green flame work and, and not kill off Jim Dark Magic. Uh, how do you not kill Elminster? <laughs> what do you do with Star Trek phasers to, you know, keep within the lines of other people's properties? We're going to have uh, someone from board games, from Lone Shark Games talking about it. We'll have folks that work on D&D and more. So it's going to be a really cool seminar. Uh, and I'll be part of, there's a signing panel, which is a pretty cool honor, crazy, uh, at PAX, uh, and a couple other PAX events there that I'll be. Uh, otherwise, people can find me on Twitter at AlphaStream and my blog, alphastream.org, which is not as good as yours or David's. It, it, is, it is a great blog. I read it's okay. it. I read it. It's not as Thanks. good as David's, but it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, well, David's a high bar, let's be honest. <laughs> Dude's like a PhD researcher in D&D articles. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you. Thank you once again. Thank you to everybody in Twitch chat. And thanks to everybody who submitted awesome questions. Thanks to Rudy Basso for managing the show and taking care of everything. And uh, we will uh, see you next time. Have a great thanks. night. Good luck oh. with your game.